turn with me to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And I'm going to clean up chapter 9 and try to get through the end of chapter 10. And then next week, we're going to try to take care of chapter 11 and 12, which will take us through the end of October. And then beginning in November, we start going into our, our Thanksgiving season, which will be immediately followed by Christmas season. And we'll be doing some different kinds of things in here. I'm going to invite some other individuals to come and speak and you know we may sing some and, and pray some and preach some and just just have a good time from here on out and um, and so over the next couple of weeks we'll finish up this meaningless bible study that we have been involved with over the last few weeks life without christ is meaningless amen i've enjoyed this study in ecclesiastes i've i've learned a lot of things that Things that I knew already, uh, but things that is confirmed by the Word of God. And so, I want to begin at, at, at verse 11, chapter 9. Is everyone there? You've, you've gotten, in, gotten your Bibles and you're there. Chapter 9, verse 11. The preacher says, that, Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, or the bread to the wise, or riches to the discerning, or favor to the skillful. Rather, time and chance happen to all of them. For man certainly does not know his time, like fish caught in a cruel net, or like birds caught in a trap, so people are trapped in an evil time, as it suddenly falls upon them. Okay, let's talk about, about that for a few minutes. What he's saying here is, is that life does not happen in a common sense kind of way. Because there are things that we think we can figure it out. Well, if I can just, if I can just uh, uh, train and, and if I can uh, run on a regular basis and if I can get my body in shape, then I should be able to win the race. But what he's saying here is that sometimes the swiftest individual doesn't always win the race. There are a lot of times that something happens in the course of the race that causes them to lose the race. He says it makes no sense whatsoever. There are times, I remember last year in the National Basketball Association playoffs, going into that, everybody was saying the Golden State Warriors were unbeatable. They just couldn't be beat. They were too good. Steph Curry was too good of a shot. There's no way that LeBron James and Cleveland could win. And besides that, Cleveland is a city that has had very few championships of any kind whatsoever. So going in, they all said Golden State is by far the most talented team. And they, they're the ones we picked to win uh, the, the championship. But you know who won the championship? LeBron James and Cleveland. They're the ones who won. Now, they were very talented as well, but all the prognosticators were surprised by it because they didn't think that they could win. And so this is what he's talking about. He's saying things happen that cause what we anticipate to happen just, just the opposite. So it's not just that the race doesn't always go to the swift or the battle to the strong. 
Did you ever see anybody arm wrestle? Did, have you ever done any arm wrestling? You, you know, I've seen guys that had arms like this big around. And they'd sit at the table and you'd think, oh, that person's going to win for sure. And then some little scrawny person would come up there and just take them. And because of the leverage that they were able to get, they, they just took the big guy just right down. Just boom, you know. And so everybody said, well, how'd that happen? Well, Solomon knows how it happens. Because it doesn't always go to the strong. And the bread doesn't always go to the wise. And the riches don't always go to the discerning individuals or the favor to the skillful. Think about that. Favor to the skillful. How many of you remember the story about David and Goliath? I mean, now listen, when it came to being a warrior, there was nobody on the earth like Goliath. He was undefeated. He was big. He was skilled. There was nobody could beat him. And then out comes this scrawny little red-headed kid. And he, the scripture describes him as a ruddy complexion. That, that means that he had probably freckled skin, kind of light skin, red-headed probably. Probably wasn't all that good looking of a kid. He, he was skinny. He, was a, he, he took care of his dad's sheep. And on that particular day, uh, he was supposed to just deliver cheese and then come home. And he goes and he sees Goliath, and he, he says, hey, what's going on out here? And you know the story. You know, he said, well, I'll, you know, I'll go out and face him. Well, he wasn't skilled like Goliath was. They tried to put the, the armor of Saul on him, and he clunked around in that armor for a little while, and then he said, i got to take this off. I, I can't wear this. This was not made for me. I have to be who I am, and I have to operate in the gifts that God has given me. I know how to walk in faith, and I know how to act in faith because I've done it before. I've slain a lion and a bear with my own hands. I, I know how to operate in this realm of faith. And so I'm not really concerned about the one that everybody says is more skilled than I am because the one I'm about to face is not more skilled than the one who I serve. And I always, I, you know, I love to point out the fact that when it came time to fight, David didn't just, he didn't just meander down to the, the back. You know, he didn't take the back roads hoping, hoping that Goliath would somehow disappear or get, get impatient and leave. He ran into the battle. He, he, he was so full of faith that he just, he ran into the battle. Everybody else said the favor is with the skilled one, which was Goliath. But David said, oh, no, we're not playing that game today. And Goliath gets, you know how he does. He gets smart and, and starts shooting his mouth off. And they send this little Twinkie down here to fight against me. And it started insulting him. And who do you think you are? Do you not know who I am? He said, today, son, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. And then it was David's turn. He said, listen, he said, yeah, I know all about that kind of stuff, but I didn't come to you in my name. I didn't come to you in my power. I didn't come to you in my authority. I didn't come to you in my favor. I came to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, and this day I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. That's exactly what happened. We know that story. And so Solomon is saying 
The favor doesn't always go to the skillful. And then he, he turns it and he says, rather, time and chance happen to all of them. Time and chance. Time and chance. Now, let, let's pack that down a little bit. Now, again, let me remind you that Solomon is speaking with the revelation that he had at that time. He didn't have all the revelation that we have now. He didn't have, all, he didn't have any of the New Testament that would be written later and explain some things that might cause him to view some of this differently. But what he's saying is, he said that what happens in your life is a combination of timing and luck. That, that's what he's saying. He said, everything that happens in your life is a matter of timing and luck. But we know that for us, that, that that's not true. I, I, I tell people all the time who are Christians, they'll say, boy, I got lucky today. I said, no, you didn't get lucky. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, and the Lord delights in the steps that you take. He, he's ordering your life. So we, I, don't, I don't believe in lucky for the child of God. I didn't get lucky. Now, I do believe in timing, but, it, but it's, not, it's not worldly timing as much as it is divine timing. You know, it would be easy for us to say, well, I wish I could have lived in a different time than this. I don't know about you, I get pretty frustrated right now with the politics. And honestly, there are days that I think I really don't care which one of any of them that get elected at this point. I'm just, I'm tired of it. I'm just, none of them represent my values. None of them represent my platform. None of them represent anything about my life. None of it. And I, and I just get frustrated with it. I really do. But when I look at it in terms of eternity and how much God trusts me to be able to live in this time, then I have to rather than say, oh, I wish I wasn't alive in this time right now. I have to say God wanted me here in this time, in this season, in this year to represent him and to be his ambassador and to be his representative in this earth. Have you ever thought about how much God trusts you for you to be here in this world right now in our current state of affairs? He must trust you an awful lot because he believes that you will respond effectively and positively to the anointing of God that he wants to put. That's the reason I've been talking so much about the gifts of the Spirit and the power and, and the anointing. Because if we're going to be effective in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in these last days, we're not going to be able to do it in our strength and in our power. We don't have the wisdom or the knowledge humanly to be able to get the job done. But boy, when you think about the fact that we're not just any normal, ordinary, regular old redneck humans, we are filled with the Spirit of God and greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. You can set aside this thing that says the favor always goes to the skillful. I'm going to tell you the favor always goes to the anointed. That's that's where the favor goes, amen? So favor of the sky. I was thinking about it today. I was thinking how many Jews 
in this world that lived during the time of the Holocaust would have said, if I could pick any other time in history, I I wouldn't want to live now. But God trusted them to live during that time. My dad was a soldier in World War II. He He was a veteran in both the Army and the Air Force. And I'm sure I've heard my dad talk about how that he hated being away from home and being in Japan and some of the other places that he was and, and being, being in the artillery and, and, and bullets whizzing by. And I know some of you served and, and were service men and women. And, and boy, my, if I had a hat on, I'd take it off to you right now because uh, God trusted you to live in that season and in that time. But we might would say, you know, I would rather live in another time or in, a, in another season. But what he's talking about here is time and chance. He's, he's talking about in his day that time lines up with luck and that's how life works. But we know that that's very different. God has strategically placed us during, in, here in this earth, in this location, in this season to represent him proper, properly. He said, and rightfully so, he says, man certainly does not know his time. In other words, what he's talking about is you don't know when you're going to die. You don't don't know when your life is going to be over. You don't know when your influence is going to shift. You You don't know when. So you have to walk out in the time that you are in. He says it's like a fish that's caught in a cruel net or like birds caught in a trap. So people are trapped in an evil time as it suddenly falls on them. I've thought, I've thought a lot about my life and my role right now as a pastor. And, and I've always loved being a pastor. Once I, once I got to the place where I, I said to the Lord, okay, if you want me to be a pastor, I'll be a pastor. I fought him for a long time over it, but I finally came to grips with it and, and realized that his way's better than my way. And then there was a period of time that for 15 years, I served in administrative roles, pastoring pastors uh, in many ways, which I never saw from, you know, for this little Southern Illinois redneck boy from El Dorado, Illinois. And yet God gave me those opportunities and gave me the opportunity literally to go around the world and be able to represent him. And then he brings me to Louisville, Kentucky And the type of influence that I have now has shifted. It's not like it was for 15 years. It's different now. It's local for one thing. It's pastoral for one thing. It it, it is more of a, the, the teaching of a local body and envisioning or visioning a local ministry here. And it's totally different than what I did for 15 years. And, and really, that's what Solomon is saying here is, is, is that you, you kind of have to go with the shift in your life. Be- best way to, to illustrate it is uh, parenting. Y- you know, it, it, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, it's not God's plan for your adult kids to still be living with you. Sc- scripture is pretty clear that there comes a time, now I know that there's, I know that there are circumstances that, that you have to, for a period of time, you have to work with those kinds of things. But scripture says that there comes a time when a man should leave his mother and father and cleave to their 
own wife. In other words, what that scripture is saying is, is get out of the house and go, go have your own family, go have your own life. Because when adults live with adults for an extended period of time, adult minds don't work well together. And, and, and so we, we get into this situation where, where, where we're in a season that is, it, not only is it not natural, it's not spiritual. Because they, they cannot learn what they need to learn as long as they are still underneath your thumbs, if I can say it that way, and your influence. They need to have a different type of influence in their lives. And so, well, but what if they get hurt? Well, maybe that is what will give them the smarts that they need to make different types of decisions. So, so what I'm saying here is, is that, and what Solomon is saying is, is that our influence changes from time to time. The type of influence that we have changes from time to time. But we don't like change oftentimes, and so we try to stay in that, in that season where we are and not rock the boat. Churches do that all the time. We're comfortable where we are right now. We're comfortable with our pastor. We're comfortable with our ministries. We're comfortable with our style. We're comfortable with our building. We're comfortable with our budget. We're comfortable. But what if God wants you to get uncomfortable so that he can cause you to be dependent upon him? And not dependent upon your comfort zone. Right. I, I say it all the time. God, Jesus didn't die to make you comfortable. He died to make you conformable. Yeah. And to conform, you have to change. You have to move from where you are to where, somewhere else where you need to be. And, and uh, you know, I, our class, somebody said today, they put on Facebook, they said, I'm so glad that I get to go to 2240 tonight, which is our young adult class, which just simply means from age 20 to 40, 20 to 40. That's how they got that name. I know you didn't know that. So now you've learned something tonight, 2240. And I posted on there and I said, great, I'm going to 4099. So I did, you know, we, we don't really have a name, but here we are anyway. But, but many of us are, are, are middle-aged on up into senior adult. And our influence changes. The way that we operate in the body changes. I've just been, my wife and I have been talking about how that the scripture talks about that sometimes the older ladies need to take the younger ladies and mentor them and teach them what it is to be a godly woman. And, and so our roles change and our influence changes. And that's what he's talking about. Verse 13. I have observed that this is also wisdom under the sun. And it is significant to me. There was a small city with few men in it. And a great king came against it, surrounded it, and built large siege works against it. Now a poor wise man was found in the city. And he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. Now what he's saying here is, is that we don't do what we do to get the credit. We do what we do to deliver 
the goodness of God in a situation, the wisdom of God. What I mentioned earlier that for 15 years I, I served in state administrative work, but I was the second man. I was never the first man, thank God. But being the second man, there were times that the overseer would come in and he would sit down with me and he would say, let's think about such and such and such. I'd say, all right, let's, and we'd start brainstorming. We'd start throwing around these ideas, throwing around these ideas, throwing around these ideas. And there were a lot of times that the idea was mine. There were a lot of times that I said something and the overseer said, I like that. Let's go with that. And so we'd get into the meetings with the other pastors. And I, I don't think I ever had one that just said it was my idea, talking about his idea. But there were some times that it sure seemed like that they were taking credit for something that I had, I had creatively thought of. But I was in that season where it, it wasn't my job to take credit. It wasn't my job to get credit. It was my job to undergird and feed creativity and feed wisdom to the person who was, who was positioned to lead and to be the visionary personality. And so I, I received my blessing by recognizing that I, I did what I was supposed to do. I fed creativity. I fed wisdom. I, I, I fed knowledge into someone who had the skill then to take that idea and bring it to a, a, a greater scale of success than I could have done, even though it was my idea. But they were able to take my idea and raise that idea up to a place I probably couldn't have gotten it to because, number one, I wasn't gifted in that way like they were. And number two, I didn't have the, the influence of the position at that time to be able to do that. I, I worked with one overseer that we'd go around to different areas in the state and we'd meet with pastors. And sometimes there'd be 25 or 30 pastors in that region and on the way, we would discuss what it is that we needed to talk about and, and at what we needed to, to get in the minds of those pastors. And, and, and this overseer, he'd say, okay, here's the plan, Rob. said, when we get there and they introduce us, you get up first and you give them all of the logistical information that they need. You pass out the information. You pass out the dates, the times. You, you pass out... Uh, the, the cost. You, you talk about the resources. You give them all the logistics that you need. And when you get done, you sit down and get out of the way and I'll come up and I will motivate them to do what you've just told them they need to do. And he would get up and he would preach and he would and he wasn't even supposed to be preaching, but he was such an encourager. He would encourage them and he would wrap his arms around them and love them and cry and pray over them. It wasn't anything for him to be in the middle of speaking about vision and he'd say, oh, I just feel like I need to pray for Pastor Doug. Pastor Doug, come up here and let me. And he'd just call him up and lay hands on him. He wasn't being insincere at all. He was operating in his gift and in his calling and in his influence. 
And, and so what he's talking about here is, is that there are people with influence that don't possess the wisdom. There are people that possess the wisdom that don't have the influence. And so God has to create this conduit whereby the wisdom can come from the one who's anointed with wisdom and get it into the person's hands who can make that wisdom come alive. And that's what he's talking about. He said they're, they're the rulers over here that they couldn't save the community, but this little old poor guy over here had the idea and the wisdom that saved the city from being besieged. But when it was all over, they didn't thank the little old poor guy. They gave credit to the one who was in the position to receive the credit. So that, that's interesting, isn't it? Verse 17, the calm words of the wise are heeded more than the shouts of a ruler over fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much good. I'm going to make a quick statement and then I'm going to go on to chapter 10. When I was taking my concealed carry a gun permit class, uh, one of the very first things that the instructor said was, he said, what is the first thing that you should do if you are confronted with a situation where you believe someone's going to use force against you? That was the first question that he asked. And, of course, everybody automatically, their mind, they're there to get their gun permit. So they're thinking in terms of how am I going to shoot this individual or how am I going to whatever, you know. And so after everybody threw out these grand ideas, he said, the first thing that you should do if you're faced with a situation like that is determine whether or not there's a possibility that you can run. Get away. Don't let it be about shooting somebody. Let it be about running and saving your life and saving their life. Don't think shoot first. Think shoot last. And use every other means available to get away from the situation. And that's really what he's saying here. He said, the calm words of the wise are heeded more than the shouts of a ruler over fools. And wisdom is better than weapons of war. I always get tickled at people who say, we want to hear about these, these spiritual weapons of, of, of warfare. And, I, you know, and, and, and it's good because God does, there are times and seasons when we have to do spiritual warfare. We have to. I mean, there's no question about it. But you know, I'd much rather walk away from it if there's any possible way that it can be done. And so that's, that, that's what Solomon's saying. Chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil ferment and stink. I, I just love that. I think I'm going to put that on my wall in my office. It's just one of my favorite things that it, that it talks about in the Bible. I just love it. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil ferment and stink, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart goes to the right, but a fool's heart goes to the left. 
But when the fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense. And he shows everyone he is a fool. If the ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your place. For calmness puts great offenses to rest. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the major impact that small things have in our lives. Little things can make a huge difference. He's saying it doesn't matter how good the perfume smells. If a fly gets in it and dies in it and lives there, it will cause what at one time smelled good to stink and become rancid. And what he's talking about is people who at one time had walked in anointing and wisdom, but because of small decisions that they made and small circumstances that they did not properly deal with in a spiritual sense, they, they lost the ability to have a positive influence. I mean, you can think of people. I, I'm, yeah, I hate to even bring this up, but this is, this is probably one of the things that will probably pull this home for you. And again, I, I'm not, you know, I don't know who you're going to vote for, who you're going to vote against, whether you're going to vote at all. I, I don't know anything about it. But this presidential race was fairly tight until just a few days ago when a tape broke and Donald Trump was heard making some statements 11 years ago about women and, and his interaction with women. And from that day till now, it changed a lot of people's opinions. Now, again, don't say, eh, Pastor, we're going to vote for Trump. I didn't say that. What I said was, is that something that happened a long time ago surfaced that caused him to be viewed differently by a lot of different people. And so the influence that he had in their eyes, I'm not saying in my eyes, I'm not saying in your eyes, but the influence that he had in their eyes changed because of information that became available about something that he had said a long time ago. Uh, the sad part about it is, is that we have similar incidents, incidences on both sides of the fence this year. And that's the reason that this election is so frustrating. It really is. Because who, well, we won't even go there. <laughs> but, but what he's saying here is, is that it's possible to live your life with great anointing and great wisdom and great influence and because of a stupid decision that you made that it, it affects your influence for the rest of your life. How many times have we seen that in preachers, in pulpits, in churches that had great, had great audiences, had great influence, had great anointing, had done a world of good? And because of one or two poor decisions, they lost influence. And they'll be known for the rest of their lives for the poor decisions than they will for the influence and the positive impact that they had at one time. 
And so that's what he's saying. Dead flies. And so when you get into a situation where you have a choice between doing what's right and doing what's wrong, just remind yourself, if that dead fly gets in my perfume, it's going to stink bad. That's it. I just I made somebody mad just a few weeks ago. They said, I, Pastor, I, it, it, it was a lady in the, in the church, and I need to come see you. And I said, I, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Why not? Well, my wife's not here. Arlene's not here. I don't counsel women alone. But I got to see you. Sorry, I can't do it. I'll talk to you on the phone. I, I can't talk to you on the phone. I need to say it to you in, per- in person. I said, I'm sorry, it just can't happen. Well, can't you make an exception? I said, I haven't made an exception in 37 years. I'm not going to start now. I love you and I'll pray for you. And if I can help you on the phone, I'll be more than glad to do that. But I'm not meeting you somewhere. And you're not going to come by here and there not be someone else who can be here. Now, I know people say, come on, pastor. It's, it's a new day. It's a... It, it, we got a new way of doing things around here. You, you're living in that old. No, I'm protecting my integrity. Because if a fly gets in the perfume, guess what? You're going to ask me to leave. Because you're going to say, you should have stayed out of the perfume and kept the flies out of your life. And you would have been right. But one poor decision can, can make your perfume stink. And, and that's what he's talking about. Then, did you notice he said a wise man's heart goes to the right, a fool's heart to the left. What's up with that? What's up with the right and the left? What's a, you know, is that Democrat and Republican? Are the Republicans on the right and the Democrats on the left? Are the conservatives on the right and the, and the liberals are on the left? And what, what's up with the right and the left? Well, in those days, in the way that they thought, and in, 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 in Greek terminology, right represented power and strength and authority. And that's, that's the reason Scripture talks about how that Jesus, when he ascended into the heavenlies, he took his place at the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession. He didn't sit on the left-hand side. He sat on the side of authority. The Bible says that the Father gave him all power and all authority sitting on the right side. So in their minds, when they thought about the right side, they were thinking about righteousness. They were thinking about power. They were thinking about authority. But when you talked about the left side, you were talking about evil. You you were talking about uh, anything that was less than righteous. And so in Solomon's way of thinking... So, you know, don't take this too far. If you write with your right hand, don't go around bragging about being righteous. <clears throat> and if you write with your left hand, don't go around saying you're the devil. You, you might be either one, but I'm, don't blame it on your right hand or your left hand. But remember, we're talking about Old Testament speech here. And he's saying, he's saying the man of wisdom is associated with the right hand of power and authority and strength. And the fool is associated with that on the left hand, which is evil, is what he's saying there. Verse 5. There is an evil I've seen under the sun, an error proceeding from the presence of the ruler. The fool is appointed to great heights. 
but the rich man remains in lowly positions. I have seen slaves on horses, but princes walking on the ground like, like slaves. What, what's he talking about here? He's talking about role reversal. And, you know, I know that you talk about slavery in our day, and, and it's a hard thing to talk about. It was, it was part of their world. It, it, might, it, it certainly was not right, but it was part of their world. And so what he was saying in a way that they could understand is that in that day, the princes or the, the royalty, if you will, rode on the horses and the servants did not. And he said, I've seen that role reversed. And he said, when that happens, it, it makes no sense because the servants can't operate in the authority and with, with, with the skill that they have and the person who is in authority cannot operate properly in their role either because they're trying to be something that, that they are not. And that, that's what he's saying here. Then he says the one who digs a pit may fall into it. And the one who breaks through a wall might be bitten by a snake. I told you Sunday. And scripture talked about all the signs that we're going to follow they're going to drink poison. They're going to speak in tongues. They're going to heal the sick. And, and, and they're going to take up serpents. I, I'll do all of it, but take up the serpents. I'm not going to do that. I don't believe in that snake handling. The one who quarries stones may be hurt by them. The one who splits trees may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen its edge, then one must exert more strength. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. I'm running out of time, so let me hit this real quick. What he's saying here is, is that these things that he just mentioned are primarily preventable if you will do things properly. Have, uh, have you ever tried to take a power screw and take a deck screw and you're going to put the screw in the deck. But instead of holding the screw on the end, you hold the screw on the thread up against the wood. And then you take your power drill and you put it on the end of the screw. And you start drilling that screw in and you're still holding it with your fingers. Don't ever do that. I've done that. And the sad part is I've done it many times. I should know by now that you don't hold the screw that way because it will thread everything it goes into, including the flesh on your fingers. There are proper ways to do things. How many of you know that when you're working with electricity, you shut the breaker off before you start working with the electricity? Otherwise, if you get your hands and on the wrong wires and complete the circuit, you may be on your way to see Jesus. Shut the breaker, call you Sparky for the rest of your life. You're right, I'm going to let you preach next week. What he's saying here is, is that if you will just use wisdom, 
If you will use the wisdom that God has given you, then you can prevent these things. He said, you, you might be digging a, a, a pit, and if you're not careful, you'll fall into the, own, the pit that you just dug. So use wisdom. You know what I always say about wisdom. It starts with knowledge, then it goes to wisdom. You have knowledge, which is what? It's information. It is truthful information, even if it is revealing untruthful principles. You may know something that I know this is untrue, but because you know it is untrue, it's true. It is true that that is untruthful, and I know that. So once you have the knowledge, I, I know a lot of smart people that are dumb. Don't you? I know a lot of smart people that are just just downright stupid. Because you have to combine wisdom with truth. And that's really what Solomon is saying here. He said, if you want to walk in such a way that, the, that it prevents some of these bad things from coming in. Now, he's already said, look. You can't control when you're going to die and when you're not going to die. Your, your life is in God's hands and, and he's the giver, he's the taker of life and all that kind of thing. We don't know how many days that we're going to live. I don't know if I'm going to be 57 and, and three quarters or 157 and four eighths. I, I don't have a clue, but I know that God already knows. And so I just have to live now with the knowledge that as long as I'm here, I'm in God's hands. And when I'm not here any longer, guess what? I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. So I live with that knowledge. He's saying that kind of stuff is out of your control. But there's an awful lot of things that is in our control. And if we would just use godly wisdom and operate in that anointing, what a wonderful thing it would be. Amen? Thank you, Lord.